This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Mint Mobile. Out of the entire animal kingdom, the animal that we've covered the most lately is the hamster, the, the humble hamster. Mm -hmm. First, there was Mr. Gox, the cryptocurrency trading hamster, who at least for a while was beating the stock market, and then tragically passed away under possibly suspicious circumstances. What happened? Then know. there was the news that it turns out hamsters can handle their liquor better than just about any other animal, including even us humans. Mm -hmm. Well, here's some more hamster news for you, and if you're a hamster lover, well, you're not going to like this one bit. Hong Kong has decided that in order to stop the spread of COVID-19, every hamster must die. No! No, we were just coming around to the hamster. Yep. Sorry, gotta go. And yeah, like everything else in the news lately, this is a bit of a rerun. Previously, the nation of Denmark decided to euthanize all its minks over similar COVID-19 concerns, and then notably botched the whole thing so badly that mink corpses appeared to be rising from the dead as zombies. Yeah. A horrific scene, to be sure. <laughs> uh, but at least in Denmark, there was a valid concern that the spread of COVID-19 between minks at fur farms was a danger to public health. Uh, the situation with the hamsters in Hong Kong is a little bit less clear-cut and probably less of a huge concern by comparison. But China's policy of zero COVID in the lead-up to the Winter Olympics means all traces of the virus, no matter how tiny and cute, must be eliminated. Now here's the Guardian. Hong Kong has ordered thousands of hamsters be surrendered for disposal after traces of COVID-19 were found on 11 animals in a pet shop. The order includes pets that were bought days before Christmas be handed over with a warning not to kiss or abandon them on the street <laughs> as Hong Kong and mainland China attempt to sustain a zero COVID strategy, attempting to suppress all outbreaks internally while maintaining tight border controls with the outside world. Authorities announced on Tuesday that traces of the virus were detected on 11 hamsters out of 178 hamsters, rabbits, and chinchillas tested at the Little Boss Pet Shop and Associated Warehouse in Causeway Bay while investigating the city's first untraceable Delta variant diagnosis in more than three months in a 23-year-old store employee. Two employees were also confirmed to have the disease, including one who cleans out the animal cages and handles the hamsters. In response, they ordered the immediate suspension of hamster sales and imports of all rodents. An estimated 2,000 hamsters, including any bought since 22 December, must be handed over, local media reported, and the owners must report for testing. Hong Kong's health secretary, Sophia Chan, conceded there was no evidence domestic animals can pass the disease to humans, but authorities were acting out of caution. We have to kill all the hamsters, I'm sorry. They gotta go. And if this is what they do to hamsters, what are they gonna do to the Olympians? Yeah. And it, it would make sense to, like... We have to kill every long jumper. Yeah, we haven't gotten to this point yet, oh, but I would winter assume... Olympic shit. <laughs> I, would, I would assume that uh, the hamsters, like... China's gonna be like, we have to do it in the most inhumane way possible. Yeah. We're gonna get a giant blender, we're gonna throw all the hamsters in yeah, it. Yeah, the world's biggest blender. Yeah. It must be created. Get the Guinness people over here. It's, it's a fun one this. for them, yeah. 2,000 hamsters in a blender. <laughs> so, it's not every hamster, though. It's just any hamster bought in the last month many of which were probably bought at Chris as Christmas presents for little kids to keep as pets. Hope you didn't get too attached. Luckily, this was a quick turnaround time. Yeah. But yeah, the whole uh, circle of life aspect of owning a pet, it's gonna have, uh, it's gonna have to happen a lot sooner than mommy and daddy would have thought, but at least you get the conversation out Crash of the way. Crash course. Next time, we'll get you a dog. And hopefully the government won't come for all those right after you get it. Yeah, that's the that'll thing. be a lot harder. It's a sliding scale of uh, yeah. attachment here. Yeah, hamster. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, but it is do it for the health and safety it's of an our country. It's designed to die and just take up as little space as possible. Don't worry, Timmy. We're going to salute all the hamsters as we toss them into the giant hamster blender that we've developed. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, this is all pretty extreme by uh, 
our standards, but clearly our standards are nothing to brag about. No. China has managed to keep its COVID numbers low by contact tracing each individual case with a level of urgency that would make most Americans laugh uh, until the laugh turns into a hacking cough. And then they head down to the feed store to buy some horse medicine, as we do. But that's not to say that the people of China aren't fed up with things, and this hamster culling seems to be a bridge too far for some people. Now here's the Washington Post. When they came for the hamsters, it proved to be the last straw for long-suffering residents of Hong Kong. The city has endured and largely complied with extreme and often baffling pandemic rules. Schools and gyms are closed, and restaurants must shut at 6 p.m. Air travel with most major hubs has been severed. Playgrounds are sealed off with tape. But when the government announced a cull of 2,000 pet hamsters, a line was crossed. The rodents could carry the coronavirus, officials said, and transmit it to humans. Now, an underground operation is emerging to save abandoned hamsters, with foster carers taking them in and concealing them. Pet owners are in uproar at the government's plan to kill the hamsters, which experts say is rooted in knee-jerk panic rather than science. The hamsters are casualties of Hong Kong's zero-COVID policy, which many here see as a futile political quest. Resistance fighters have assembled in groups on Telegram, a chat and social media app, to share updates, drawing on methods used in anti-government protests in 2019. Nearly 3,000 have volunteered to house the affected hamsters. On social media, concerned residents shared photos of abandoned hamsters in the hope of enlisting rescuers. Many garnered responses in seconds. You know... It's the no, Underground Railroad for hamsters. True, but no good deed goes unpunished. And if the, if it is possible for this to jump to humans, it will happen to, specifically, it might not have happened before. Because the way things work yeah. is just like... We've it, never seen any documented case of a hamster infecting a human then... Pff, Oh, wait, yeah, shit. The people that rescue the hamsters <laughs> are going to, it's going to be like, uh, not even normal COVID death. It's going to be like the bubonic the plague The hamster type. variant is yes. the worst one. It, oh, and then it's just going to go everywhere. The yeah. summer is canceled. That, all because people were like, we must save these 2,000 hamsters. That would be, uh, you know, about as ironic as anything else. Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, fuck it. Sure. Yeah. The hamster variant. Now, again, as Elliot said, there's currently no real evidence that you can even catch coronavirus from pets. I wouldn't risk it if you were like, that hamster has coronavirus. I'd be like... But even, like, it was one pet store. It was 11 hamsters out of, like, 178. Mm -hmm. Your odds are all right, I think. Sure. Or just uh, get a swab and jam it down that hamster's Those throat. big cheeks. Do a little at-home test and find out. If the yeah. hamster's clean, you keep it. If the hamster's got to go, it's got to go. You know, as we said before, coronavirus can be stored in the balls. Yeah, it, be sure to swab those balls. Is is clearly stored in hamster cheeks. Yeah, get yeah. in those cheeks. They're, mm -hmm. they, they're storing that COVID in there for later. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, Hong Kong, it's euthanizing thousands of animals just purely as a precaution. Yeah. And why not? <laughs> just to see what happens. It's the Lunar New Year. We need a sacrifice. It's a medical experiment and also a social experiment to sure. see just how much bullshit you people can deal with. Yeah. How much boot on your neck you can handle. Uh, there's also currently no real legal means for the Hong Kong government to force hamster owners to give up their pets. And there's also no criminal consequences for non-compliance, at least not yet. For now, handing over your kid's brand new hamster to the local government to be executed, it is purely voluntary. Um, but still, making Hong Kong's hamster lovers, it's making them very, very sad. Yeah. Uh, and you gotta wonder about the people who are just like, fucking take it. Fine, yeah. This thing sucks. I didn't know what I was there's getting There's probably into. a couple people that are relieved. Yeah. Oh no, my son's new hamster that was shitting all over the fucking house. And they're such, such a tiny turds. They're hard to track down. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you know, just a tiny little tiny little vacuum, tiny little uh, broom. No. Sick of this hamster. We're taking 2,000 hamsters and we are shoving them up Richard Gere's asshole. Yeah. 
How many can he fit? <laughs> All of them. He can needs he, to. Can he break his old record? Richard, we got a request for you. We need you to come to China. <laughs> We're calling you out of retirement. Yeah. He's banned from China. Oh, is he? Yeah, because of his uh, Tibetan activism. Oh, that would make he sense. He is yes. literally not. He can't go anywhere near So this will be punishment for him. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, you know, losing a pet, it does suck, no matter how small and stupid the pet. Mm -hmm. But what if there was a way to ensure that your pet simply never died? I mean, that's, of course, impossible and absurd. But for several years now, if you've had the means for it, and it's a lot of means, you could simply order up a clone of your dead pet. Back in 1996, Dolly the Sheep was the first animal to successfully be cloned, and these days, animal cloning is a service available to anyone who wants it, and also happens to have between thirty-five dollars to $50,000 to spend on it. You would assume this kind of thing would only really appeal to, like, lonely old rich ladies who simply cannot go on without the companionship of their recently departed lapdog. But you would be wrong, because cloned pets are apparently quite popular among Instagram influencers. Input Mag recently reported on this phenomenon, and their first example of as, is an influencer named Courtney Udvar Hazy, whose dog Willow was a pretty successful Instagram dog until being hit by a car and dying. But Willow's account continues to post, featuring an identical dog, but this dog is named Phoenix, and Phoenix is a clone, and great name, by the way. Yeah, rising, rising from, from the ashes. ashes. <laughs> uh, from that article, Udvar Hazy, 29, used the Texas-based company Viagen, which famously duplicated the singer Barbara Streisand's dog Samantha in 2018, to clone Willow. She ended up with Phoenix, plus five other genetically identical pups that she gave to friends. Occasionally, the lookalikes have reunions, which Udvar Hazy documents on her Instagram account. To some observers, this seems bizarre, even grotesque. I get a lot of crap about cloning, says Udvar Hazy. People say I have zombie dogs, or they call me a crazy rich girl. It was hurtful to me at first. Uh, it continues. Although Udvar Hazy's pack of clones may seem exceptional, the act of bringing back a pet is becoming more common, and it's especially evident on Instagram. The team behind top petfluencer Tinkerbell, a five-pound papatees with more than 500,000 followers on Instagram, revealed in 2019 that Tinkerbell's DNA was being stored for cloning. The announcement post is labeled a paid partnership with Viagin. That's what I was wondering, yeah. The account I Party with Bruce Wayne, which has 55,000 Instagram followers, features four cloned chihuahuas who appear alongside the original Bruce. Meanwhile, smaller petfluencer accounts like Clash of the Clones, The Peanut Clones, and Baxter the Clone openly tout that the dogs on display are genetic replicas. Together, these furry duplicates are normalizing the world of animal cloning, and they could be ushering in an era of petfluencer immortality. Quote, Someone could clone their pet and replace the original. The world doesn't have to know. They may never know, says Melaine Rodriguez, client service manager at Viagen, which is behind the cloning of all the animals mentioned in this article. Especially if it's one that looks exactly the same, and they could just continue with that pet. Rodriguez notes that the clone pets aren't reincarnations and will have different personalities than their predecessors. That's the whole point that, that works against this. Is like, yes, if I it's want a visually identical, and even like uh, some of the pictures of clones, I'm like, I can just, with the naked eye, I can spot differences. Like, it's not perfect even visually. But yeah, other than that, it's a different dog. You're yeah. not getting your dog back. You're not getting the personality at all. It, this, this is kind of brilliant for the Instagram, you know, because visually, sure. Yeah. And even in short videos, yeah, why not? Yeah, but Lassie would still be on the air today if uh, this was around back in the 50s. Yeah. Like all the cars they crashed <laughs> in Dukes of Hazard, they had many Lassies that perished. Yes. But now they could have the exact same Lassie. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, that's the whole thing is it's like as a companion, as something that you are emotionally attached to that you 
in a lot of cases, people have the dogs and cats have personalities. Cats less so, I agree. But dogs, there is an emotional connection there. There is a soul type feeling to a dog. Yeah, there was. I think it was This American Life several years ago. Some farmer, I guess he had the money for it. He uh, his his favorite old cow died, and he cloned it. Oh, it was, this, it was the This American Life TV show. He cloned the cow to bring back his favorite cow. His old cow was like sweet and loved him. The new cow, fucking monster. It gored him, almost killed him. Wow. Yeah. That th maybe they, <laughs> maybe the souls are attached. Maybe they like, are. What? How dare you? Yeah, this this is, is, why would you do this to me? I was let, in a beautiful place. Let me rest in peace. Yeah. Also, like, it might have actually been cheaper to clone the cow rather than buy a new one. Those things are expensive. It can be. Again, I'm watching Yellowstone, so. Yeah. <laughs> they, people die over cows. They do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially if it's a good one. Yeah. Again, uh, so this costs between $35,000 and $50,000 because it's, it's fucking cloning. It's cloning an animal, a living <laughs> being. And if these lonely old women could clone their dead husbands, they'd probably do that too. I don't know. Actually, based on TV shows, they're like, good riddance. Nah, let him rest. <laughs> I, I spent five decades with old Earl. I think I can handle myself for my last couple years. Theoretically, if souls were real, and if your soul got reattached to you again... After dying, would you be pissed? Uh, yeah, because I'd have to be a baby for a long time. But what if you had your brain now as a baby? It would be very frustrating, I think. Yeah, but after a couple years of frustration, it'd be cool I to feel like, like... I feel like... Be like, oh, I gotta get on this Bitcoin. I feel like... I guess you're not going back Just time, going but. through childhood would drive you so uh, insane that you would forget who you actually were. Yeah, like, maybe. If you put someone in the body of a baby... From birth to like age fucking two, like just being so incapable of just basic shit. Speaking, would, yeah, yeah, would make you actually lose your mind, and it would turn you into a baby brain person. Yeah, you'd probably maybe reincarnation is real. Maybe every baby born is like fully fucking aware, and that's why they're crying all the time. Like, yeah. what the fuck is going on? I thought, oh god, was... I just shit myself again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't control my body. Yeah, it would cause like a severe disassociation. Juicy. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that is what happens. Yeah, that sounds like hell. Yeah. Damn. And then you turn out like this cow, and you're just like, I'm gonna fucking kill this person. Yeah, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you mess with nature? Yeah. But yeah, the first thing I thought when I thought this was like, oh, this cloning company is just gonna hire influencers to it's like... It's brilliant on their part. Yeah, because, like I said, photos. Different than actually living with an animal. Yeah. Anyways, uh, it also, this whole process apparently takes a while, sometimes years, Unless you got a large following, baby. Right to the front of the line. Yeah. And one pet owner interviewed in the piece says that Viagen asked her not to disclose how many rounds of animal inverto, uh, in, vitro in vitro fertilization it took to produce her cat clone, Belle. Uh, which definitely raises some questions that we didn't have before, learning that they want to keep this information a secret. Yeah, how many failed clones were there before they sent her the one that worked? Like, how many, how many like... Half-formed cats, or they just throw it in the blender? Like, oh, well, we didn't get that guy back to the drawing board, I guess. I hope it's an all-inclusive price. Yeah. Despite the actual, like, ethical concerns, imagine paying 30000 a pop for them to repeatedly fail. Yeah. that's what happens when you try to do the uh, IVF with a human child. Yeah. I mean, human, human IVF's like $9,000 or something like that. It's America, so probably $900,000. Yeah. Uh, whatever. But yeah, you gotta keep trying until it works. Yeah. Anyways, uh, losing a pet is hard. And it's especially hard if your pet is an influencer, because that cash cow, yeah. sometimes literally, that is gone. That cash cow, cat, dog. That same pet owner uh, said of her original cat's Instagram account, I lost a lot of followers and a lot of engagement. I'm slowly starting to build that back up now with Belle. Fucking psychopath. 
the article also quotes a Viagen client services manager of the company's uh, apparent success in the influence economy. Viagen has clearly spotted an opportunity. Rodriguez, citing privacy reasons, wouldn't comment on how many influencer clones exist or what sort of paid partnerships the company has entered into with Instagrammers, but she sees influencers cloning their pets more often in the future. Quote, if someone made a living off of their pet and then suddenly their pet is gone, what do they do? She asks. Rodriguez has pointed this out to Instagrammers at Petfluencer conferences and felt they found her viewpoint eye-opening. They were all amazed, she says. We definitely got some clients that moved forward with preserving the cells. God, you got a great life. Your dog, you got this dog just bringing in the money. Just posing for a couple photos a day and uh uh-oh, uh-oh, bone cancer. What are you going to do? Start from scratch with a new dog? No. Mm -hmm. People are going to come to your profile looking for Tinkerbell and... Who the fuck is this new thing? Unfollow. That's the thing is like, this is brilliant for them because previously, as you showed, the perception was that this was for old lonely people. Yeah, that's what I assumed it was. Have you seen like a CVS where they have like the cat dolls specifically for old people? Oh yeah, uh, those are those are for people that are so old that they're like not capable of actually caring for an animal anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like they, it'll purr. It'll like the things. Yeah, they, yeah, they purr. They. They feel warm, well, I think. Where with this, it's like, hey, you remember Grumpy Cat? Well, get a load of Grumpier Cat. Not yeah. only is it just as hideous, it is also very pissed off that it's alive again. That one's uh, extra funny because, like, I'm sure Grumpy Cat wishes they still, uh, Grumpy Cat's owners wish they still had the DNA. But if they were to submit it, they're like, yeah, uh, so we cloned the cat. We had to, had to keep doing it because the cats that kept coming out, they all had these, like, horrific disfigurements. No! They all looked really weird. And they're like, okay. Well, can we have those? Oh, no, we threw them in the blender. We're, we're going to keep trying until we get a cat that looks normal. Like, no, no, you don't understand. Yeah. Grumpy Cat was famous because he, he, was, he had a bunch of freakish deformations in his face that made him look grumpy all the time. Like, yeah. Oh, shit. Well, we probably shouldn't have killed those 15 cats that we already did and threw in the blender. So, uh, good to know. S- side note, one of the last conversations I had uh, with my grandma was she was a huge Grumpy Cat fan, <laughs> and I showed her the picture when I met Grumpy Cat, oh, and yeah. that was the most proud she's ever been of me. <laughs> So, left on a good note. Okay, good. Yeah. Anyways, this is where we just come out, just right out and tell these people to fuck right off. More than six million animals end up in U.S. animal shelters every year. Around a million are strays that end up back with their owners. Around four million are adopted. And the remaining million end up getting put down. And pretty much anywhere in this country that isn't the middle of fucking nowhere has loads of private animal rescues in addition to the shelter system. We're well past the point where even getting a pet from a breeder should not really be considered ethical. And here you fuckers are, just cloning your dogs and cats just to keep a good social media algorithm score. Fuck you. Yeah. We all miss our pets when they die. Yeah. It's sad. My wife and I, we lost a dog several months ago, and we're now thinking about getting another one, and we're not going to a fucking breeder. We're not cloning our old dog. We're looking on the various uh, fucking like re- animal rescue pages... Yeah. Around town, and there are so many fucking adorable dogs, Instagrammable dogs. So so many little dogs. We're like, wow, that one's gonna be a star. I can't wait for you to and move to like Idaho and just have a giant yard with dogs. Uh, we, we've we've talked about this. <laughs> it's a good plan. Just a whole dog farm. Yes. Just running around freely. Just a piece of hay sticking out of your mouth. Not a clone in sight. <laughs> Those are my dogs. I'm a dog farmer. <laughs> and business is booming. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Actually, there are dog uh, puppy mills. You don't want to yeah, be associated with that. Yeah, I don't want to be that. those. No. These, my, mine are all Rescues. spayed and neutered. Yes. Just like Bob Barker told me to. Yeah. Hey, so yeah, there's, there is absolutely no supply chain shortage when it comes to dogs and cats who are in need of a forever home. But there is still a pretty serious supply chain shortage for most everything else. So let's now look at some interesting effects that the supply chain shortage is having on things. Um, here's one that's actually kind of great. If you've ever owned a printer, you know that the printer companies are the devil. They trick you into thinking that you're getting a great deal on a cheap printer, only for you to soon realize that the printer isn't where the money is. The money's in the ink, you fool. And you're going to be paying out the ass for that ink. Mm -hmm. That's been the case forever, but the addition of DRM has only made things worse by preventing third-party competition and also sometimes just refusing to print due to, like, no toner left, even when there's... There's definitely fucking toner left in there, you yeah. son of a bitch! Just print it in red, I don't care. Yeah. Well, enter the supply chain crisis, and now Canon is changing its tune about printer ink DRM, at least temporarily. Cool. Here's Ars Technica. To enforce the use of first-party cartridges, manufacturers typically embed chips inside the consumables for the printers to authenticate. But when chips are in short supply, like today, manufacturers can find themselves in a bind. So Canon is now telling German customers how to defeat its printer's warnings about third-party cartridges. Due to the worldwide continuing shortage of semiconductor components, Canon is currently facing challenges in procuring certain electronic components that are used in our consumables for our multifunction printers, MFP. A Canon support website says in German. In order to ensure a continuous and reliable supply of consumables, we have decided to supply consumables without a semiconductor component until the normal supply takes place again. The chip in question tells the printer when toner levels are getting low. A useful feature, certainly, but one that printer companies often use to lock out third-party cartridges. Without the chip, the printers will say it doesn't know how much ink or toner is inside the cartridge, assume it's zero, and refuse to print. But Canon has been having a hard time getting chips amid the shortage, so the company is telling owners of its Image Runner large office printers how to defeat its own protections against cartridges that don't have chips. All right, we... You might see on a couple of, uh you know, websites out there, uh, the process of how to do this. Well, listen, we're just going to level with you. We're going to level with you. It's actually really easy. Yeah, my old, I, the first time I discovered that this was a thing, it was like, I just had to, I had to like open up my printer and just cover something with a little tiny piece of tape. Yeah. And now, now it would keep printing, even though when it thought there was no toner left. Uh, another company that uh, I, I think stopped doing it all together because it was so simple was uh, Keurig. Used oh, to have yeah. like a QR scanner or something, yeah. and people would just tape an old Keurig thing to the top of it, yeah. and then you just shut it and open it. Fucking coffee DRM. Fuck yeah. off. Like, who cares? Anyways, if you're wondering what the leet hack is for defeating Canon's DRM, uh, apparently you just click OK or I agree or close when the software gives you an error, and that does it. Well, my work here is done. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's like thanks to a firmware update or it's actually always just been that easy <laughs> to bypass that error message, but there you go. That was easy. Uh, so this next supply chain solution, however, is a bit less simple and easy and is arguably uh, a, a bit dangerous. So tucked into Joe Biden's infrastructure bill is a plan to solve the trucker shortage by putting teenagers behind the wheel. Finally. Finally! If they're old enough to shoot people in the Middle East and vote in elections, they're old enough to drive an 18-wheeler. On the road with your family. Still not old enough to drink alcohol or rent a car, though, sorry, but they can get behind the wheel, behind the 18 wheels of a big old Mac-10. Yeah, these kids these days, have you seen the amount of sales on American Truck Simulator? They know what they're doing. Yeah, so, uh, that's wild. Here's the New York Times. Please, I'd like to know more. 
People as young as 18 will soon be allowed to drive commercial trucks carrying tons of cargo across state lines under a federal apprenticeship pilot program that is intended to train thousands of new drivers. Uh, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, a branch of the Transportation Department, outlined details for the program last week, setting up training procedures and vehicle safety technology requirements. During the pilot program, which can last up to three years, as many as 3,000 young truckers at a time will be required to complete 400 hours of cumulative probationary time with an experienced driver in the passenger seat. After that, until they turn 21, they will be able to drive solo but under continuous monitoring by trucking companies. The legal age for truckers who drive across state lines is currently 21, but those 18 and over can drive commercial trucks within state lines everywhere in the country except Hawaii. Apprentices under probation must drive trucks with forward-facing video cameras and active braking collision mitigation systems and must stay under 65 miles per hour. So, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, it's not as bad as it sounded at first. I mean, they're, they're not going to just be handing pimply-faced kids a, a set of keys and an empty Gatorade bottle and telling them to go drive 80,000 pounds of freight across the country. No brakes. Yeah. Uh, still, though, you do got to wonder if maybe the old rules requiring the drivers to be 21 or over were put in place for a reason, maybe? Maybe a safety reason? Like, I don't know, maybe you don't want someone to have, you do want someone to have more than just two years of experience driving normal-sized vehicles before they start driving something 16 times bigger. That would make sense. Yeah. The trucking industry sees this as a big win, but uh, opinions are much more mixed in the not dying in a car accident industry. Anyway, back to that Times article. Some safety advocates say that the program is ill-advised and that lowering the age limit for truck drivers would fail to address long-standing aspects of the trade that fuel driver turnover, such as grueling work schedules and inadequate safety technology in trucks. They say that teenage drivers will present a much higher risk than those who have been driving for longer, citing research finding that younger truck drivers had higher crash rates. Quote, This really is a band-aid on top of a deep wound, and it's also a self-inflicted wound, said Kathy Chase, president of the Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety. There is not a truck driver shortage issue. There is a truck driver retention issue. As the pilot program begins, Ms. Chase said, she hopes that her worst fears about teenage drivers causing preventable fatalities will not be realized. We think that putting one of the most dangerous driving populations, teenagers, behind the wheel of 80,000 pound trucks will imperil not only the teen truckers themselves, Miss Chase said, but everyone on the roads with them. I think she's got, uh, she raises some valid points there. So yeah, I don't know, I guess probably going forward, probably a good idea to give those big rigs just a little more room on the road, which you already should be. I always feel bad for these guys when drivers are cutting them off and shit, like. It's terrible in the city. Well, yeah, like the fact that the the five interstate goes right through L.A. Yeah. Makes for... And also Long Beach, all of the freeways going to Long Beach, yeah, where the port is. It's uh, It sucks. Yeah. But once you get out to the, the Midwest or, hell, just east of Los Angeles, it's eastbound and down, baby. Eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. You ever see the photos of old truckers uh, where it's just like half of their body is aged 20 years more than the other half from yeah, their, their the window. Yeah, their arm is skin cancer on the left yeah, arm. And the side, yeah, and the sun hitting the side of their face. Yeah. It's crazy. But uh, meanwhile, in a similar vein, over in Australia, Prime Minister Scott Morrison proposed a, a similar loosening of regulations, but instead of truckers, it's forklift drivers. Ooh. And the plan was to get 16-year-olds behind the wheel. They can't even use the baler! <laughs> what are you doing giving them a forklift? 
So this idea has since been abandoned after most people agreed that this was a terrible and dangerous idea. But it's hilarious that this was even seriously floated by a head of state as a solution to the supply chain shortage. Just whatever. It's like a tiny car with giant blades in front of it. How hard could it be? When I, w- when I worked at a grocery store when I was a kid, I literally had to get an adult yeah. to crush cardboard boxes or anything. Things can go very wrong. Very quickly. Yeah. Especially with a forklift. Like, how many videos have you seen where a forklift driver knocks over, like, Oh my god. Four yeah, levels. It's just, like, it's just dominoes, just the entire inventory crash. Yeah. I mean, look, I hear you already. Sure, over in Germany, they've got 16-year-old forklift drivers, but those are Germans. Built different. And yeah, if you've ever seen the workplace safety film Forklift Driver Klaus, the first day on the job, well, you know that German forklift drivers are constantly aware of what kinds of gruesome horrors forklifts are capable of. If Australia wants to get serious about 16-year-old forklift drivers, they're going to have to commission their own short film in which dozens of warehouse workers are dismembered and impaled due to carelessness. I agree. Then I'll I'll reconsider my stance on this. All of these trucking companies and every other company like this, they're thinking about it wrong. They have to do what Burger King did and go get uh, people in their 70s and 80s to come back to the workforce. Yeah, the old dogs. The youth have failed this, this country. It is up to you. I forget what the Burger King flyer said, but it was basically like, it almost made it like a patriotic Mm -hmm. thing to do to come back and work at Burger King at age 78. You answered the call in Vietnam, and now the king. (laughs) You answered the president's call back in the 60s. Now it's time to answer the king's call. Mm -hmm. Get back to work. (laughs) Which which is worse? 18-year-old truck driver, 78-year-old truck driver. I'd have to go for the safety uh, reasons. I think the 18-year-old would be better. Yeah. Yeah, the 18-year-old, the issue with the 18-year-old is that they'd be reckless yeah. and uh, not have a full understanding of their own mortality and the mortality of those around them. 78-year-old uh, actually is, like, physically incapable <laughs> of uh, safely operating that kind of machine. The only thing that people above 80 are good at doing is running the country. We all know that. Yeah. Oh, it's what are, they're best at. Are they good at that? That's 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 is, their calling. Is that something they're good at? You're really not good at running a country until you hit 69, 70. I, and after that, it just gets better. We're gonna, it actually gets better. We're going to have a 100-year-old president in my lifetime. <laughs> probably <It's> next probably <laughs> in two years. They're like, oh, I know where we fucked up. They weren't old enough. I want to see Chuck Grassley run for president in 2024. <laughs> Betty White was this close. Yeah. She was going to run. That's what everyone is saying. They're like, finally, she's she's old enough. Yeah. We need a president that uh, claims they're only surviving because they drink three Dr. Peppers a day. Yeah. We need a Morton Joe. Someone just hooked <laughs> up to, like, hoses and pipes and masks. Wait, someone with no shame that just wheels a fetus around yeah. with, with pipes going into them. <laughs> Presidents aren't old enough. Yeah. These are rookie numbers. <laughs> what are these babies doing in the White House? Yeah. Jeez. But hey, child labor might be a thing of the past. Uh, But so are train robberies. And those are back, so what do we know? That's right, and it turns out that in addition to the logistics issues at the heart of the supply crisis, train robbery has become a big concern again for the first time in, I don't know, 150 years. (laughs) And there hasn't been any talk yet of giving 16-year-olds a Winchester and a horse to deal with it. But for every day that uh, there aren't teenage deputies protecting America's freight, more and more goods are being brazenly stolen. Come on, Joe Biden. Give the kids a gun and a horse. (laughs) And it's all apparently happening right here in our backyard, can you believe it? Where trains pick up freight from the already congested ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach to deliver it to the rest of the country. Here's Vice. 
For months, Union Pacific freight trains have been getting systematically robbed in the Los Angeles area, according to local news reports, as thieves target valuable merchandise and online orders from retailers like Amazon sitting on delayed trains. A report on Thursday by CBS LA found thousands of boxes and plastic packaging strewn across the railroad tracks in downtown Los Angeles, a section of track where Union Pacific trains wait to unload freight. According to CBS LA, the thieves run in, cut the locks on the freight cars, open packages, and discard anything they don't want and the packaging for the things they do end up taking. A tweet about this story from CBS LA's photojournalist John Schreiber went viral Thursday night. As of this writing on Friday morning, it has more than 17,200 retweets and the attached video has 2.3 million views. Well, now something has to be done because it's, it went viral. It's viral now. Yeah. And yeah, the videos posted by CBS LA's John Schreiber are fucking wild. The train tracks are absolutely littered with torn up packages pulled off of trains. And Vice also points out that this isn't isolated. There's been similar reports over the last few months of other package graveyards along train tracks in other parts of LA. NBC4 even got video of the thieves prowling the tracks. Do they have bandanas on? Uh, yeah, I think some of them did. Yeah, because you have to wear a mask now, so might, why not make it a bandana? Yeah. yeah, you are a bandit. Yeah, as for uh, how something like this happens, well, it does all kind of come back to the very same supply chain issues that it's worsening, uh, particularly the long-running issue of LA's ports being already too congested even before all of this. The railways get so backed up that trains frequently have to stop completely, and that's when the thieves just hop on and grab as much as they want. A lot of people have been wondering uh, why they just they don't lock the doors, and that's a great question. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, it sounds like maybe they cut the locks, or I don't know. It seems like there's probably a way to lock them in a way that isn't easy to open, but... Well, I was like, you know, for like a hundred years, we didn't have to worry about this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Hit that one sheriff. How could someone rob a train? Trains are always moving. Yeah. yeah, but having to unlock every one of those doors at their destinations, it'd probably slow things down even more, especially after they've been sitting uh, for so long, so... Yeah. Uh, people have also asked why the police don't seem to be doing anything about this, and, well, funny answer to that. Uh, here's the article again. Part of the problem appears to be a lack of clear responsibility for who should be policing the tracks. Union Pacific has its own police force that is responsible for crimes committed against the railroad. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> you have messed you up! You have committed a crime against the railroad! <laughs> High crime! <laughs> but they can call local police for assistance. The history of Union Pacific's private police force goes back to the Pinkertons. But CBS LA reports that LAPD is rarely asked to help with reports of train robberies. So. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like something that the LAPD and LA Sheriff's Department should actually maybe try directing their energy at instead of uh, just shooting children at the Burlington Co. This would be a very public display of good yeah. that everyone is looking at that they could easily do. Yeah. It's a, it's a very easily solvable problem that is very public and would give, get them back in people's good graces at least temporarily. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's, it's not really their jurisdiction yet. Yeah. Union Pacific has to give them permission, I guess, because because the railroads have their own fucking police force, apparently. And they all use uh, silver six-shooters. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That private police force, not doing a good job at it, clearly. Well, if the LAPD uh, got involved, they do the same thing with everything else. We're like, well, I guess uh, you should have voted differently. Uh, yeah. Looks like I gotta go uh, Snorlax to catch. Sorry, I'm out of yeah. here. Uh, we've been defunded, even though they haven't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. But uh, also... In everyone's defense, LA has like a couple hundred miles of freight rail tracks just within like the county borders. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a lot of rail, too much to survey really effectively at all. You'd 
kind of just have to have cops stake out different parts of the tracks and... Tell them there's a Snorlax! Yeah! A lot of Pokemon down on those railroad tracks. You haven't seen the amount of Pokemon that I've seen down on the railways. I'm pretty sure Niantic probably programmed it to not put Pokemon in the middle of the railroad tracks. Niantic is complicit in not putting Pokemon in high crime areas where cops should be at all times. Yeah. They're like, look, if we put a freaking Pikachu right there, oh, it's the safest block on the, uh, on the street. The CEO of Niantic just has Pokemon all around his house. Yeah, so they're guarding guarding his mansion. Never going to get robbed. It's like how, uh, I don't know if they do it here, but in Florida when I was growing up, like 7-Elevens, convenience stores would give cops free coffee yeah. and donuts. Because it's like, they'd want them around to like That's, dissuade that, A lot of businesses do yeah. that. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what the solution is here, but hey, at least now you know why your package never arrived. Uh, some random just pulled it off the train, and now they have it. Yep. Well, there it is. And guess what? You probably didn't need it anyway. Yeah. yeah. You're, you, you're looking back, it's been three weeks, you're like, do I really need that block charger? You could have probably just driven across town and... Did I really need that soap dish? Retail? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's another reason to go get retail. Yeah. Maybe to locally owned business. Lovely American retail. Yeah. Uh, we've got more news coming for you, uh, including dumb crypto news. It's all dumb crypto news coming up. If the entire half of the show is dumb crypto news. Brace yourself, but also... We know it's dumb. We are making fun of it. Yeah. But first, this episode is sponsored by Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2022, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. If you've made a resolution to save money this year, Mint Mobile is a great way to make good on your savings resolution. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. With Mint Mobile, choose the amount of monthly data that's right for you and stop paying for data that you never use. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com newsday. That is mintmobile.com newsday. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com newsday. All right. We said we had an entire half of the episode full of dumb crypto news, and that was no exaggeration. Crypto news does not stop, and it's all extremely dumb. As a little appetizer before we get into the main course, here's some news about an old character that we haven't heard from a whole lot lately. Olympic swimmer and dumbass, Ryan Lochte. And this hasn't actually even been covered in the news as far as we've seen, but people on Twitter have certainly noticed that Ryan Lochte's nearly one million follower Twitter account has vanished in the past few weeks. And meanwhile, an account called Crypto World has appeared out of nowhere with all of Ryan's old followers and also all of Ryan's old tweets. Now, it's unclear what's hmm. going on here. It's especially bizarre because Crypto World hasn't even posted any new tweets since the switchover. Either Ryan Lochte sold his high follower Twitter account to a crypto company after not using it for nine years, or he was hacked and he still hasn't noticed or doesn't care. Yeah. But you'd think they'd want to actually use the account either way, and they haven't. It's very strange, but hey, speaking of Twitter, they just introduced a hot new feature for more easily identifying users who should be avoided at all costs. NFT profile pictures. They did it, everyone. The premonitions have come true. NFT profile pictures are a, are a thing now. Yeah. Of course, the NFT people have been using hideous NFTs as their profile pictures this whole time, 
but they weren't verified. Now they're verified. Now they're verified on the blockchain. And NFT owners who link their wallet to their Twitter account get a hexagon around their pick instead of a usual circle so that everyone knows that they did, in fact, pay tens of thousands of dollars for that shit. It's a clear indicator. Yeah. Now, this is kind of brilliant on Twitter's part, uh, at least financially, because in order to get the hexagon profile pick, the user has to buy Twitter Blue, the monthly subscription service that offers a few nice features, but otherwise hasn't really been all that appealing to very many users, even at just $2.99 a month. Most people have no use for this, but now a bunch of crypto bros do. Yeah. Twitter's full of NFT bros, and now those NFT bros will pay, mm -hmm. or they risk being shunned as a poser by their peers. If you are a crypto person that doesn't Get have... out of your circle. Yeah, that's the thing is if you don't have that, no one is going to take you seriously yeah. in the crypto world. Yeah. It's a it's a it's like the opposite of a scarlet letter. Yeah. For the rest of us though, this has the potential to make Twitter even more annoying than it already is. This would be fine by me if Twitter also introduced a feature to automatically hide or block the accounts that have the hex gone, but they didn't do that for some reason. Luckily, though, there are several third-party solutions to this very problem, and the introduction of these hexagon profile picks will actually make them even more effective than they were before. Yeah, it's like blocking the egg Yeah, back then. Uh, there's NFT artist and crypto bro blocker, which is very customizable and can just completely block all users with even a hint of crypto on their profile, or just block the ones with the hexagon. The Chrome extension Better Tweet Deck can be set up to automatically hide all users with hexagons, and there will surely be more to come as the verified NFT profile rollout continues. Twitter isn't just exploiting this grift to make money. They're also giving programmers something to do, which is nice. But uh, even if you choose to coexist with Twitter's verified NFT holders, there's still plenty of ways to bully them. Like this updated version of the laser-eyed crab meme, Silence, Hexagon! <laughs> and, like, yeah. this was Twitter's chance to raise the price of a of a feature that no one was using. Well, I I think they're going they're going to raise the price 6 months from now and be like, "Oh, you're going to lose your hexagon if you don't." Yeah. They're holding all these people hostage and I I applaud them for it. But I think it's brilliant. That's the thing is like if people are dropping thousands of dollars on this thing and typical users aren't paying $3 a month, why not bump it to like $30 a month? Yeah. And you have your hexagon. They could. They could charge $100 a month. And and, and we'll even give you a Twitter space where you and all your bros can circle jerk. Yeah. I, but I think they're playing the smart. They're, they're, first, they have to establish the hexagon and get people comfortable with the hexagon. And then, they're like, uh, you know how it was $3 a month? Now it's $300 a month. Or you lose your hexagon. What, are you poor? Oh, you're poor? I, I don't know. Oh, I thought you were a big, rich NFT holder. <laughs> I don't know exactly how it works, but like, also the idea of connecting a crypto wallet to Twitter, of all places, just doesn't seem like the most secure. It's just another vector for uh, being hacked. In addition to just every fucking week, someone gets their someone some someone with way too much shit sitting in one crypto wallet gets their Discord like gets socially engineered on Discord and loses a bunch of shit. So now we got crypto or got uh, Twitter for that shit as well. Yeah. Anyway, by now, the NFT hype is nearly a year old. And uh, more recently, another acronym that we're all going to have to get used to, I guess, that has popped up, has been DAO, or DAO, which is short for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Uh, the, the briefest description of what a DAO is that we've seen is that it's a group chat with a bank account. And so far, the most visible example of a DAO has been Constitution DAO, who tried to purchase an original copy of the U.S. Constitution at an auction and then struggled to figure out what the hell to do once they didn't win that copy of the U.S. Constitution. 
Oh, and then there's also CityDAO. We talked about them. Their plan is to build a blockchain city out in Wyoming, despite clearly underestimating what a large task building an entire city from scratch is. How are they doing these days? Oh, a scammer hacked their Discord and stole all their money. Oh, cool. Uh, here's Vice. The attack worked by compromising the Discord account of a moderator, a core team member, and an early investor who goes by Lions800. They detailed the angle of attack in a Twitter thread the following day. First, the attacker posted a doctored screenshot showing a conversation with Lions800 in another Discord server, claiming that he was scamming people there. Lions800 offered to prove it wasn't him and got on a voice call with the scammer, who convinced the moderator to let them inspect their console. From there, the scammer obtained Lion800's Discord authentication token that let them hijack the account. In a tweet, Lions800 described this as a ridiculous security breach from Discord. No, you <laughs> fucking idiot. This is social engineering. Yeah. From here, the scammer launched a webhook attack to exploit CityDAO and BaconDAO, a group that describes itself as an investor's guild that educates its members, where Lions800 is a co-founder. Webhooks are best thought of as tools that connect Discord servers to other websites and are often used to send automated messages and updates. The hacker used their control of Lions 800's account and Discord to issue fake announcements across channels with bots that carried malicious links for a fake land drop of CityDAO's NFTs representing parcels of land. Within the space of a day, the hacker's wallet received 29.67 ETH, just shy of $100,000, and has continued receiving funds. In the last three days, the hacker has transferred 20 ETH to the Tornado Cash Tumblr to hide where the funds eventually landed, and 11.6 ETH to another address. 14 ETH remain in the wallet. It's unclear if all of the funds are from CityDAO's investors, and the address has been marked as a scam in Etherscan Explorer. Um, I've seen this happen because when uh, Solana came out, I was like, I'm going to look at this and at least know what I'm talking about here with what's going on. And so I had a couple of like Solana-based uh, whatever projects, and this happened so many times. Like, I'd say 25% of them had some fake uh, account that was verified or whatever, be like, yeah. hey, here's the drop. By the way, everyone was waiting for this mint. Here's the mint. And then it's like in the general chat, other moderators. I didn't just get no, I, nothing happened. Frantically telling people don't, not to click don't. on any links from DMs it's, or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's evil. Uh, <laughs> it's like, no, he's the evil twin. I no, still I get, am. I still get like DMs from random like NFT profile pictures, and literally every time I just click report spam, report spam, yeah. report spam, report spam. Yeah, it's a never-ending cycle. Got to make a new Discord. It's uh, it is a ripe recipe for all sorts of scams. Yeah. Like, Literally, the funniest thing is anytime I tweet anything that has NFT in the tweet, I get so many likes from just like NFT bots. The, I look at the likes and it's like all these fucking like crypto punk profile pictures. And I'm like, this is just automated. Like they're just going oh, yeah, around yeah. liking people's tweets. So you click on their profile and follow them back. Like it's. Oh, yeah, no. And in these discords, shady. it's it's everyone just shares whatever their mint picture is. And they're like, oh, everyone come retweet mine. I'll yeah. re retweet yours. It's like this. It, it, it for a lot of people that don't have a, it's like the flat earth shit and the birds aren't real shit. Yeah, it's a, it's a place to belong. The yeah. entry fee is owning one of the NFTs. So it's yeah. Look, it's their money. I don't care, but it is ripe for a scam. You have to be careful if you're doing this and it's volatile. So yeah. in all aspects, be careful. Anyway, the lesson here is summed up perfectly by the author of the Vice article. The ease with which funds were stolen and a community duped, most of the ETH transfers happened in the space of one hour, suggests that building a city on the blockchain might not be the wisest endeavor if you're also using a gaming chat application to do everything. 
And yeah, yeah, okay, so sure, building a city might be too ambitious for a DAO. But what about something simpler, like managing a hot intellectual property? You guys all saw Dune, right? It's gotta be easy. Dune, that was, it was one of the best and most highly anticipated sci-fi releases of the last few years. Well, guess what? Some crypto nerds, they own it now. A DAO bought Dune. That's it. Crazy. They own Dune now. Yeah. But hold on. That, that doesn't really sound right. Mm, um, yeah. are, are you suspicious of this? Because I am. I'm uh, skeptical. The film and TV rights to Dune are definitely owned by Legendary Entertainment, and most of the rest of the rights to the IP are controlled by author Frank Herbert's son. What the group calling itself Spice Dow owns is a book that director Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky put together to plan and storyboard his 1970s film adaptation of Dune, which ended up not getting made. Although, great documentary. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly a rare and highly sought-after document that Spice Dow purchased at auction for $2.9 million, but they seem to be slightly confused as to what exactly they now own. <laughs> and much like owning an NFT does not mean owning the copyright to an image, owning a copy of a storyboard book does not mean owning the rights to Dune. <laughs> Nevertheless, Spice Dow's plans for what to do with their purchase include producing an original animated series inspired by the book and selling it to a streaming service, which they have zero chance of succeeding at because, again, they don't actually own Dune. They own a copy of a book that was based on Dune. Yeah. Yeah. So Spice Dow was mocked relentlessly for their apparent misunderstanding of how intellectual property works, for paying 100 times the auction's asking price, and for apparently not knowing that scans of the book's pages have been available online for over 10 years. But they do seem to have finally figured it out. Uh, they posted a frequently asked questions thread on Twitter this week where they write, Q, are you aware that purchasing the book does not give you its copyright? A, yes. After two months of outreach, conversations with former business partners, and consultations with legal counsel, we were not able to reach an agreement with any of the rights holders involved in the creation of the contents of the artist's book. I love that they specifically noted former business partners. Yeah. So they, based on that answer, they definitely, at least for a little while, did think that they might have bought the rights to Dune for $3 million at an auction, which is incredible. Step one, sue Warner Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Your Honor, you'll see that we are in possession of the book. Where's Warner Brothers' book, hmm? Can you submit hmm. your evidence? It's this USB stick right here, <laughs> Your Honor. Now, it's unclear what they plan to do with the book now that they've spent the $3 million and don't actually own the intellectual property that it contains. They can't even make NFTs out of it without risking being sued. Hopefully, they go ahead and make the high-quality scans of the whole thing. That would be great because the ones that are out there right now, they aren't the best quality. But otherwise, this is just a bunch of randos in a Discord server who own a very rare book that they can't exactly share in any meaningful way because they're just a bunch of random people on a Discord server. Yeah. But if nothing else, this news is a great reminder. Jodorowsky's Dune is a fantastic 2013 documentary that you should definitely watch. It is awesome. Yeah. One of the best documentaries. It's, uh, it's a damn shame that uh, Jodorowsky's Dune never materialized, but it's also when you hear everything he wanted to do with it, you're like, I'm not sure this was ever possible in any way. It certainly would have been an art. He was going to have... Uh, Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali in H. it. H.R. Geiger. H.R. Giger. He got H.R. Giger to do half the artwork for, like, uh, Arrakis, and then he got... I think the guy who later went on to do everything for Alien did uh, House Atreides. Uh, Alien's H.R. Giger, isn't it? 
Well, uh, no, another guy, oh, okay. uh, the guy who designed like the Nostromo. Yeah, and Dolly and, like, wasn't doing art for it. He was going to star. Yeah, he was going to star in it. Um, Pink Floyd doing the uh, soundtrack. Jagger, yeah, Pink, well, that's another thing. Pink Floyd was going to do uh, part of the soundtrack for one of the houses, and then uh, I think it was like Vangelis was going to do another house. It was like uh, Mick Jagger was going to be in it. Uh, uh, who's the uh, Citizen Kane guy? Uh, uh, what the fuck is his name? <laughs> he was going to be uh, the Godfather. No. Um, the director of Citizen Kane. Oh, fuck. The, the greatest director of all time. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank and I feel really stupid. Ah, uh, yeah. That's the schmodown working on you. Uh, but yeah, he was uh, he was going to play uh, the the big fat guy who runs the Arrakis family mm -hmm. uh, who floats in the air because he's too fat. Anyways. It's going to be wild. If nothing else, the designs for uh, the costumes and all of the spaceships and planets is amazing. Yeah. No, the amount of work, like... This would have like made Star Wars look like and a I, fucking. And joke. when I watched the movie, I was like, I want to see that fucking book. They should sell copies of this book. And for some reason, they still haven't. Probably because of all the like, it's not just the Dune intellectual property, but it's all the artists and whatnot who worked on it. Yeah. But they really should. Uh, someone should figure out a way to publish that book because I would. I would definitely buy it. It's literally like a comic book. He storyboarded every fucking shot he wanted to put in this movie. <laughs> Over like a decade. Insane. It's beautiful. So that's worth checking out. Mm -hmm. Man, they're going to yell at me so much, I still can't think of it. What is his fucking name? <clears throat> Paul Blart. Oh, God, no, not Paul Blart. What's that, what's that actor's real name? Uh, Kevin James. See, I learned my lesson with that one. Real heads remember when we couldn't remember Kevin James's name. <laughs> Paul uh, Blart. Kevin, Kevin. Orson Welles. Orson Welles, there it is. Fuck. That's not the same guy that played The Godfather? No. <laughs> no. That was Marlon Brando. <laughs> Another reference. Yeah. Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. The only thing I know about Orson Welles is the caricature of him from like Tiny Toon Adventures or Animaniacs or something. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, more food. Yeah. Fucking king. Legend. The guy, towards the end of his career, he, <laughs> he gained like 200 pounds. He would just drink like three bottles of wine at lunch and eat like just at 2,000 calories Good a meal. To be the king. It's king. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, that's all for today's episode. Oh boy, coming up on an hour. Yeah. Time to cut things short. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, watch. Please watch, if you haven't, the most recent episode of Weekly Weird News, which got completely like delisted, shadow banned by the big liberal media <laughs> here on YouTube. Uh, yeah. It didn't show up in anyone's sub box. So yeah. if you haven't watched it, please check it out. And watch also, uh, our most recent episode where we talked about Activision Blizzard uh, being bought by Microsoft. And whether that's good or bad, or maybe a little bit of both. It's gaming purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Click them. Bye. Bye.